you've been taken to the seventh heaven now, and now we're going to come back to earth. Okay? Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. You, there's a place for notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to do that. Uh, the title of the sermon is, Why Can't I Do That? And the do that is, Why Can't I Sin? Uh, there are lots of reasons that we could give uh, to that answer, but Paul is addressing in this chapter uh, one of the things that he brought up at the end of chapter 5 in verse 20, and he feels like that he has to address it here in chapter 6. And uh, what he does is he says, uh, why can't we sin? And he says, because if we sin, grace is going to abound all the more in chapter 5. Well, he addresses that in chapter 6. And if you are one of those who believe that you can sin and ask for forgiveness and grace abounds, well, that's true. But if you think you can just do it over and over and over and over and over again, what you have done is you have made grace cheap, okay? And it's called cheap grace. Thank you, Emil. And if, um, if you are, if you will, a moralist, uh, you would say that there is no sin. And you would say our human condition is the problem. And so there are human solutions to what we can do. But I've got news for you. Without Jesus Christ in your life, you cannot overcome sin. There's no way. You can be moralistic all you want to. It doesn't work that way. You may be a legalist saying that we've got all the rules and here they are and you have to follow them and you've got to do all of them. And if you, if you don't, you're in trouble. And you may be a legalist that, that wants to live that way. But God does not want us to live legalistic lives. What he wants us to do is to realize that Christ is our life. The rules show us our need for Christ. And Paul teaches us that sin has to be handled through a relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, come to you today asking you to help us to understand the life that you have for us. Uh, where we have been tied to the past teaching or belief, help us to break free and to become the people you intended us to be from the foundation of the world. Help us to see newly our relationship to sin through our relationship to Christ and not to excuse the way we live ever again. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 6. One of the first things that you're going to learn as you look at this passage of Scripture is we are freed from sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Some people believe that verse 1 in chapter 6 is their life verse. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Yes, we cannot answer it that way. Look at verse 2. By no means, and when Paul says that, other translations say 
Uh, may it never be, of course not, God forbid, no, no. And the Phillips translation says, what a ghastly thought. So if you think that you can go on sinning so that grace can abound, Paul is saying to you, absolutely not. You cannot do it. Why not? Look at the rest of verse 2. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So we are dead to sin. You see that in verse 2. You see that in verse 6. You see that in verse 11. You see that in verse 14. And so we cannot just go on as if it's okay for us to sin and ask for God's forgiveness and everything's going to be all right. Now, if you do, it will be. But if you're living your life based on that premise, you're living wrong. As we read on, verses 3 through 10, we have to come to understand the nature of our identification with Jesus Christ. We died with Christ and we were resurrected with Him. Look at verse 3. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. One translation says we, we may walk in newness of life. So verse 3 and four, set us up for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was an essential element in baptism for New Testament times. It also is for us. Without it, without faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you are baptized, you, there's nothing that has happened, but you have been dunked under the water. And it doesn't matter how many times you have been put under the water. Without faith, all you have done is get wet. Okay? And so you've got to come to the realization that what Paul is talking about here signifies an end to a former existence, a former life that we did have, and a new life that has begun. Verse 3, and I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to point out where it is three other times in this verse, but it says, or don't you know? The other translation could be, don't you understand? Okay? That is very important because today it's important for each one of us to understand certain things. It's also in verse 6 and in verse 9. Look at verse 5. I guess it would help if I'd turn the page to verse 5 first. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. We've seen the identification with the death, burial, and the resurrection, but here we come with a picture of what has happened to us. The word united in verse 5 means this. 
grown or planted together. Okay? So let's read it one more time. If you have been grown or planted together with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Galatians 3.27 says this, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. We have a new life. It is different. There's nothing that is the same. Verse 6, the second no. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. If we have sinned in Adam, it is equally possible to have died to sin in Christ. As believers, we have participated and are participating in Christ's own resurrected life. Your old self, your old man, whatever you want to call it, has been crucified on his cross. That's what the first part of verse 6 said. Okay? It is a past event. It's not something that is going to happen in the future. It has already happened. Your old life has been crucified. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Galatians 6.14 says this, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we are Christians, if we are in Christ, we have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to us. Okay? We're dead to sin. It's been crucified. Okay? Galatians 3.1 says, If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why should we do that? Let's finish verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The dominance of sin has been broken and we are freed from it. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The reason we are freed from it is because when it was crucified on the cross, it was done so that our, the body of sin might be done away with, that which is in us, and we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask a question I don't expect you to answer. I'm going to answer for you. How many of you have ever used the excuse, well, I can do that because they did this to me? Or how many of you have ever said, well, it's okay if I do that. I can just ask God to forgive me and everything will be all right. 
Or maybe you've come up with some other excuse. Okay? We can come up with all kinds of excuses to say, it's okay for me to sin. Paul says, no. May it never be. Okay? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In his death, Christ died to sin so that we in him could also die to sin. Verse 10 tells us that his death, Christ's death, effectively and conclusively did away with sin and that there should be no second fight. Yes, there are struggles along the way, but we have victory. We have victory. How does that take place? Um, verse 11, because this is the solution. Many of you don't think right now that you can have victory over sin, but you can, okay? You've just got to change your thinking. What does Romans 12, 2 say? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Our mind has to be changed. Our thinking has to be changed. Look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. We must first consider what God, in fact, has made us. He sent the Spirit so that we would be enabled to live the resurrected life that Christ wants us to live. He wants us to know or understand the nature of our union with Christ. It makes a difference in our life. Jesus came from heaven, sinless, spotless, undefiled, and separated from sin. He lived a life confronted on every hand by sin's power and presence as he lived for 33 years on this earth. He lived among the carnage and wreckage of sin. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20 said, it is is finished. Christ's death and resurrection changed everything. We can also cry, it is finished. Stuart Briscoe says this, the nightmare of unanswered sin is over the tyranny of unconquerable sin is broken. The tyranny of sin over your life and over my life has been broken. We do not have to sin. It's prevention theology. Now, there's corrective theology, and we all know 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that just corrects what we've done wrong. But we don't have to do the wrong. And I want you to understand that this morning. Now, are you going to do wrong? Sure. We're not perfect yet. We're not going to be. But we've got to change our thinking because I think a lot of times I, we, as a church, we think we can do whatever we want to and get away with it because all we've got to do is ask God to forgive us. Paul says, no, you are dead to sin. Our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with and that we no longer be slaves to sin. The new man lives. Sin should not dominate our life. Galatians 5.24 says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our body of sin has been crucified. We've been crucified to the world and it to us or us to it. And now we're told that the flesh with its passions and desires have also been crucified. Stop and think about that just for a moment. Reflect on that. Start putting that into your mind. Because as we reflect on our identification with Christ, it will help us not to sin. If my life or if your life has not changed and if there's no impulse for further change toward Christ, you or I probably are not a Christian. If we don't want to be like Christ, we probably are not a Christian. We have to accept our identification with Christ. Verse 11, we've already read it, says... Count yourselves dead to sin. The, the verb and the translation in other places says consider or reckon, and the idea is to put it to your account. In the Greek, it means keep on counting yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And this word is used 19 times in Romans. Paul wants us to come to reason with what he has talked about, okay? Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. He wants us to apply that principle, that theology, to our life. And he wants us to grasp it with our mind. What are we considering? We're considering two things to our account. We're dead to sin, but we are alive to God. Two things we need to do. Without answering, I'm going to ask the question, do you consider yourself dead to sin? If you don't, you need to. Do you consider yourself alive to God? I would hope so, and if not, you need to. Notice that it says... And we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
There is no other way to be alive to God and dead to sin than through Jesus Christ. It is the only way. When Neil Armstrong stepped out of Eagle onto the moon's surface on July 20th, 1969, and said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, he entered an environment in which it was impossible for him to survive except for his spacesuit and its support system. But because of the capabilities of his unnatural environment, the spacesuit, and his identification with it, he was able to regard himself as dead to the in his spot, in his, well, in his, his, I can't even say it anymore, surroundings, the bad surroundings of the moon, and alive to his experience of walking around on the moon. So as believers, we too must understand that in, in Christ, we are no longer totally at the mercy of the inhospitable environment of sin, but alive to all the power and life of God himself. Reckon, consider, count. Alive to God, dead to sin. Verse 12. Because theory means there must be action. We've counted this. Now it says do this. Therefore, because of all that has come before, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign. Do not let sin rule. That is a command. Would God command us to do something that it is impossible for us to do? Thank you, Dale. Thank you. It's one of our adult Sunday school teachers. Highly recommended. Uh, no, God would not command us to do something that is impossible. Do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal bodies. When we obey the passions of our bodies and give in to temptations, we sin, but we don't have to. There's an old Puritan saying that goes this way. God does not take away our ability to sin. He gives us the power not to sin. Let me say that one more time. God does not take away our ability to sin, but he gives us the power not to sin. Verse 13. There's a negative and a positive here. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been uh, brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Verse 13, do not present the members of your body, your tongue, your hands, your feet, whatever, to God as sin, as instruments of, of unrighteousness. 
I like the uh, translation of the word instruments that says tools. Your hands, your tongue, your eyes, your brain, your feet, whatever that's a part of your body is not to be a tool of unrighteousness. Do not present, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We're no longer living in that dead life. We have been resurrected from it. And it says, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why do we do that? We do that so that as we don't yield our members, whatever that might be, as instruments of unrighteousness, we yield them to God as in instruments of righteousness to do God's will. Okay? Now... It's example time. Someone in this church comes up to me and says, Boy, I tell you what, that's Scott Eaton. Not much of a minister of music. He can't get it right. Doesn't do the songs right. Too many hymns, not enough courses. Too many courses, not enough hymns. Now, I've got three options. I can stand there and say nothing, and what have I done? I've agreed with them, okay? Or I can stand there and verbally say, you're right. I've agreed with them again, okay? Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. My mouth at this point, my tongue. But I can say, you know what? Scott prays about the order of service that he puts together. And he has a balance of hymns and choruses, and yes, sometimes they're more and sometimes they're less, but he always prays about it, and you know, don't the songs point us to God? Don't they point us to Christ? Okay? Now, I've, I've taken the negative and added the positive. Do not just do the negative. Don't just not yield your instrument to unrighteousness, but yield it to righteousness. Go from being the negative, destructive person to being the positive person that builds up. Okay? Now, one more thing, just real simple. Somebody has something that you want. You've seen it with your eyes. You've thought about it with your brain. And you've said, boy, I sure would like that. You've planted that thought in your brain. Started with your eyes, went to your brain. You have an opportunity. No one is around. No one is looking. And so you take your hand and you pick up whatever it was that you saw that you wanted, and you walk off with it. No one knows about it. You have yielded your eyes, your brain, and your hand as instruments of unrighteousness. Instead of doing that, find something positive to do with your hands. Find something positive to think about. If you thought, oh, I want that, then say, God, please help me not 
to be envious of that or jealous of that person and what they've got. Help me to be satisfied with what I've got. But then go do something good with your hands. Don't just do the negative. Add the positive. Verse 14. And if you don't believe me, Paul ends with this. He says, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Sin will not be your master, it will not be your ruler. But you've got to reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to God. You've got to not let sin reign or rule in your body. And you have got to not yield your members as instruments of sin, but yield yourselves as those alive from the dead to God as instruments of righteousness. That is the solution. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and uh, we come to you saying that we're here, that we're alive from the dead, that uh, we have died with Christ, that we've been resurrected with Him. And Father, we can do nothing but say, praise your holy name because it's all because of you. Father, we come right now saying, here is my body, my arms, my voice, my eyes, my arms, my hands, my feet. Take them all that they might be instruments of righteousness and not of sin. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.